0: Hi, welcome to another episode of I Mustache You Something. I uh, have the pleasure of torturing uh, Father Daniel Habib today. Um, He was the first person um, in the continental United States at whose house I celebrated the Feast of the Resurrection. Do you remember that? Yeah, actually, I think I do. I had just moved to New York. And we were living in Queens at the time, praying with Abunamina in uh, Brooklyn, and your parents invited uh, our family uh, to come to your house. And you and I played chess. And, I
1: remember the chess.
0: Yep. You were, you were in sixth grade, and I was in fifth grade, if I remember. Right. So uh, he and I go uh, further back than he cares to admit, uh, <laughs> and he has had a more profound influence on me than I care to admit. And uh, I've told him this before, that that there's things that he said to me in the past that like, till now, I'm still learning from. And one of them is uh, a conversation we had. Oh, are we getting I think I think we're getting like past 15 years like closer to 20 years um which is really awful
1: <laughs> yeah no no I think it's probably more than 20 years yeah
0: where he he we were talking about like what makes somebody Coptic and what makes us Orthodox and he said something that stuck with me which is everything goes back to the liturgy and uh one of the things in these series of conversations that you know has been a running theme is this Coptic identity and this Christian identity and I think there's a lot of things like people seem to bring up molokhia a lot <laughs> but when we talk about being Coptic it's like oh you got to eat molokhia, and it's like yes I agree and you should be <laughs> stunned if you don't eat Molokheya. Um and you know pairing out what's essential um, is a process, and it's something that we're figuring out. So, um, welcome, uh, Abuna Dan, Father. Thank Daniel. you. How, how do you like? Like, what do you prefer? Do you prefer Abuna Dan, Father Daniel? Because I noticed that with uh, Abuna Sam here in Boston, it's it's either Abuna Sam or Father Samuel, but it's never Abuna Samuel or uh, Father Sam. I I don't know. Like, do you feel like uh, you, have, you
1: know? No. It doesn't, it doesn't. Um, you know, the title itself is kind of problematic for me. I, you know, just you've been to Catholic, you, you've, you're you, at whatever Boston College and I'm, you know, and I, I'm, I'm in the room with like a bishop and they're like, there's Tom over there or there's, you know, uh, Jeff over there. And, and but the second you start throwing around titles. Everybody's like, "Well, I, I could throw around my title if you really want me to," and and it becomes this like, <laughs> this like, let's just put titles to the side. Uh, I I um, I don't pay attention much to the title. It's something that just reminds me of what I have to do, and and uh, so either way it comes, I, uh, it's a it's a heavy weight. So I rather be called Dan a lot of times by my neighbors.
0: <laughs> I mean. M. Gaelis actually said the same thing. He said, he was talking to the youth and he was like, you know, you guys think that, oh, because I'm a bishop, um, you know, I must have this X, Y, or Z. And he was like, the only thing that I have is a daily reminder when I get dressed in the morning of the responsibility that I have. Um, so that reminds me of that. And that I, I think that's um, not a common perspective. So w- where does that other... Um, perspective come from this, you know, sense of formality and sense of deference.
1: You know, it's, it's, um, you can't force somebody to call you father. Do you know, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you couldn't, um, I mean, look, we just had the 45th president. People weren't even wanting to call him president Trump. You know, they just called him whatever. You can't force somebody to call you by a certain title. And I, I believe that it's a, you know, my ability to give, you know, it's, it's someone's free will. So, you know, if I'm introducing myself, especially to a, um, a non-Copt, but even in an, a, 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 you know, if I'm giving a meeting, right? And I'm uh, to a new bunch of Coptic people, I can't say my name is Father. No. <laughs> my name is Daniel, and my title is Father. Uh, if you want to call me father, go ahead. But I've even had Coptic uh, uh, Christians that you know they're they're you know maybe they've taken some time off from the church. They don't like it. They've been influenced by evangelicals or who don't like that. You know they take that verse call no man father, and it doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect me at all. Um, I think it's important for uh, for me, especially, to. Uh, to strip myself of anything that I, I can boast of <laughs> or be proud of. Uh, I could be proud of uh my marriage. I've been married for 13 years today. You gave me a card. Yeah. You gave me a card that's uh I remember the, Do you remember the card you gave me?
0: Uh I don't remember okay. what I did this morning. I
1: think I'll I'll tell you the card after this. <laughs> it was funny. It was mean a half funny. So uh uh and uh, my kids but you know i haven't accomplished i mean you think about the priests that we we grew up under um they and they're still going and they've accomplished they accomplished more on their first day of uh of their priesthood than i have in the last uh, several years so it's um it's something that i you know I just it's a lot of work and it's a lot of responsibility so i'm not um um i'm not you know What's the word I'm trying to say? It's not. It's not a title. I, I force people to call me, so abuna or father. It's nice when I have Americans. The Americans always come into church. They love abuna. They like mm-hmm. to say abuna as opposed to father.
0: So you you bring up the um, the cross of the service and the you know the the constant feeling of inadequacy that uh, you know imperils us all. I think we always feel, you know, we want to do so much more for the church, um, and we want to do so much more for our community, and and we feel like um, we're, we're never quite um, keeping up with the expectations that we have for ourselves. And, you know, anybody that is listening to this that knows you, you know, um, would, would hear what you're saying and say, Yes, that's that's very nice that that you think that way that you feel that way. Oh, I haven't done anything. Meanwhile, like you know, people that are friends with you, people that have served with you, people um, that have confessed with you, have benefited from your service. So, um,
1: any benefit I is is it, honestly any and and this is another thing. Any ben- benefit is is strictly. Um, the work of god you know where where paul um apollos waters paul planted apollos waters and and god gives the increase um so that has really um that can't be factored into the equation like uh you know what i'm saying like that can't be uh something that you use to evaluate um, uh, your service at all just saying you know that's just something that anybody who's um you know, has read the gospel and all that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I, I don't know where we um, forget that because I think it comes from a good place, right? There's good intentions in saying, I want to feel like my service is, is meaningful, right? And when we find meaning in our service from what we quote unquote accomplish and we find uh, desolation and we find... Um, disappointment in our service when it doesn't meet our expectations or we're not able to do what we were hoping to do to help the community, right? There's a, a personalization of that. So can you speak to what we can do to, to have the same zeal for our community while at the same time not making it about us?
1: Oh, um, well, when I when I started my priesthood um, one of the first uh, profound conversations and pieces of advice that I got from another priest, he said to me, um, you have to be ready to be a prophet who nobody listens to, and they'll kill you, and then maybe after you're dead, uh, they'll listen and remember what you said. He gave it to me in very kind of like um, just just be prepared to see nothing. <laughs> and um, I think the way that we evaluate the service has to be different um and the way that i've always sought to evaluate my service or to at least um examine is am i am i being faithful to god in what i'm doing um because the success is um so for example um I could uh, steamroll over a bunch of people and get something done, right? But is that the way things should get done in the church? I could accomplish, you know, a certain activity or a certain uh, project in a way that I'm beating the men servants and the maid servants, but it gets done. <laughs> and unfortunately, I've seen that the beating, the men servants, maid servants, uh, um, kind of approach to service and uh, those servants will have a a great reward in the kingdom of heaven but uh, for me it's not um, um, it's that idea of um, relationships over tasks and putting an emphasis on how we do it is very important it's not a business right so it's how we do things and I believe that there are there are certain you know plans that God has for us or he opens pathways that um, can be closed even though God opened them they're closed for whatever reason due to um, just a lack of working together or people not kind of uh, approaching in the same mindset and it just becomes like a group project where okay you know like when you're in when you're in eighth grade and you realize that your group is a C group and that the best you're going to do even if you do all the work uh it's not really a group project you might get the a but if it's a c group you just got to submit to that this is this is the best that this group is going to do so for me it's um it's a mixture of things but i always um i want to be found faithful in what what i'm doing so that i ask god is this is this what you want me to do um and uh, and it's and it's hard to kind of, it's hard to kind of come back to that. Um, I think I might have been having this conversation with you where I was um, doing some sort of setup in the church, and um, I was doing it with pleasure. I loved it. Um, and you reminded me that's that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not what you know. A person who goes and studies and is a pastor and should be doing other things, you have to find what you, only you can do and do it. You have to, and you have to do that, you know, from that I said, and I have to do that faithfully and honestly. Um, there's the job of the priest, and there's the job of others, and uh, it's all mingled together. Unfortunately, when things do fail, I, uh, the priest is the one that, uh, his head is on the chopping block. Uh, but at the same time, it's, um, it's not a typical, it's not, it's not bad, it's unfortunate, but it's not, you know, it's not the worst.
0: How does that fear play into the discipline of knowing the outline of what you really are called to do versus what you feel sort of tempted to do
1: I, I don't know it's 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 tough you um it's just a constant reexamination i think of uh, of the service in the ministry and I don't think it's necessarily. Um, bad for a boss to do the same work as his employees, if we want to use those terms, just to know what the employees are going through or dealing with. Um, but it's bad when the boss has no one else to rely on. Uh, then, then it's like, um, what's what's wrong with this with this production, right, or whatever it is? You know, like you need to train people, you need to be asked. Um, you have to give like a priest has to give the opportunity to others to make sacrifices that are reasonable um, instead of saying oh instead of that person doing this or that i'll do it you know like um uh, and that's i think what maybe one of my problems is i don't i don't like to ask for uh, frivolous things or trivial things and at the same time um I forget what it's like to be a servant, to just be like, yeah, I'll, I'll do this to help out. You know, i I'd like to do X, Y, and Z. And I think, um, uh, and the other thing is I don't want to just be sitting high and dry and just having everybody else do it. I like to be somebody who rolls up my sleeves and does the work too. So I don't know if I am answering your question.
0: I, I think, <laughs> um, I mean, th- this happens, uh, where, you know, I ask a question and, uh um, whoever I'm talking to answers a better question where, you know, I I, I was um, following a different thread of you as a leader um, being tempted to do things um, out of fear and saying, well, if it doesn't get done, then it's going to reflect poorly on me and on the institution and the congregation, and therefore I must do it. But you answered a better question, which is upstream from that, why isn't it getting done by someone else, right? Why am I in the position where I even have to consider that, right? Why, Why? like, why am I struggling with, you know, uh, who does X, Y, or Z for our community when someone else should feel empowered, when someone else should feel uh, responsible for this thing so that I don't even need, need to think about it. So, Following your train of thought, which I think is, is a more um, valuable and helpful train of thought, uh, how do you empower people? And how do you put yourself in the position as a leader who encourages people to take ownership of things so that you're not left with this you know, guilt slash fear slash responsibility of who's gonna do this?
1: I think the easiest way is when things start out organically Right. Like um, like when a couple um, gets married, has a kid, buys a house, all the tasks begin to mount up and and everybody sees the tasks and knows the tasks and then takes ownership of the tasks. Um, When you have a, a, a church that starts from the very beginning, which was what our church is. What happens at the very beginning is that a few people are doing all the work and then there's burnout and then uh, things fall through the cracks and then maybe somebody else will step up and do it. And then you might get other people's um, um, uh, opinions and say, oh, well, that's not really what we were intending from the very beginning. But, you know, at the same time, nobody else is really doing anything. And and and, and there's this kind of this organic growth uh, somehow falls um away and then it just becomes specific tasks with definitions and nobody sees the vision or the goal or the direction that makes sense um i i don't have a solution i like i think i mean i don't like but i feel like sometimes failure and things falling apart uh, is a good uh, encouragement for people to uh to step up and to do things um and, uh, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and I have to be, as a priest, I have to be comfortable saying this is the best that we can do, and this is the fastest that we can drive this vehicle, and this is the furthest we can go with it, um, if that makes sense. Uh, I think that there are better priests who know how to manage. I think management is really important. Um, helping people feel uh, ownership in the project, ownership in the church. But COVID has been um, really difficult because the priest is the point person now. Nobody else is going to liturgy every other week or every week even. Um, And so, and everybody's got. We're we're sick and tired of Zoom meetings. I'm sick and tired of WhatsApp groups. Right? I have like a thousand that I'm a part of. And uh, and then and emails are like obsolete. Nobody. I don't. If I read an email, it's like a major inconvenience to me. (laughs) <laughs> so it's, like, but you know, it, it, I
0: send you lots of emails, so uh, I'll keep that in mind. I'll just start a WhatsApp group.
1: Right, that's even worse. A WhatsApp message that's like more than five lines is like, I can't. I don't have. You feel like I don't have time for this. Um, but uh, having having said all that, um, I also think that if a, a priest is is praying about it and has um eyes on um on the kind of service uh, praying about it in the sense of like you know god like let's let's please send me this this right person you find people that come from the people that are not um the main group right there's always the main group these are outliers who have always been outliers and all of a sudden they just say you know i'd like to do something but in the past it's always been like and you you could appreciate this oh you want to serve you have to go through a couple of years of pre-servants and then you have to do x y and z you have to show us that your uh your blood is with us and 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 that might not necessarily be the case we might have somebody who wants to try it out and and be there for a little bit of course they don't get a a teaching gig uh but they have there's plenty of services that need to happen in the church um and uh And anyway the people that you know typically go through the pre-servants um never mind i'm not gonna go down that route (laughs) but you get what i mean i mean there are people that are there there's like you know high schoolers which you would never think could do something that just got their license and they're they're able to drive around and do and, and 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 be um instrumental i i've often heard it said high school and college are the life force or the, the the what the power in the service right um, and uh, and that's um, and that's a beautiful thing to make them feel like they're part of the community which is a, a, a very important part of, of education in and of itself
0: how how do you um, how do you assess that because I think one of the challenges is that you know, there is a natural tendency for our youth in high school and college to go and explore and to try to see what the world is like outside. And it's not, at least in my opinion, it's not our job to chase them down and say, listen, you're the life of the church, you have to stay, right? But how do you keep it as a safe home base and a welcoming home base? that they can always come back to or kind of bounce back and forth and go explore a little bit, but say, okay, I always can come back home um, because my church will always accept me regardless of what I see or what I do out there. There's, you know, either a path to come back and and share the good things that I've seen or repent from some bad things that I've seen.
1: You, uh, you know, um, Aside from like, you know, sex, drugs, and alcohol, and the things that people go out to explore, what I sincerely believe in, 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 my, um, in my service towards the youth in the college, and I hope I'm not wrong, is that what so many people in our society, all the people that are kind of living their life and having fun, what they lack at the end of the day is community they don't have like i was playing with my kids at the pool and i was talking to one of my neighbors and uh you know they knew i was a priest um but they're like um they he just said casually yeah we're not raising our kids religious at all and one of the things i i was just trying to you know con c- you know connect them with and just like you know you know your kids they need they they should belong to a community they should belong to something that they feel is they're a part of because uh without community we there is like some serious loneliness that we can't overcome I remember um saying one time in the sermon in the Makar I said um, there are people that leave here on Sunday and they don't talk to anybody until they come back the next Sunday. And I was saying it, um, not having any hard facts. I was just kind of saying there are people that are lonely that need to be asked about. But somebody came up to me afterwards and said, well, that's exactly what happens in my life. I leave. I, come, I, I drive out of here, talk to no one for seven days or six days. And I come back and this is where I see people. So the kids i'm trying to build this community and trying to tell them this community is very important um you're they're going to do things that don't align with this community and then they're going to have to make a decision right um do i want to be part of this community or the things that i'm doing that you know there there are there are other friends and gatherings and people that will encourage them in in a life of a frivolous life of uh, of pleasures um but they all go away eventually. They, they don't remain. You don't have people in their 40s and 50s going strong from high school or college in the same lifestyle, doing the same thing. It's, it's, it's I mean, I've never seen it. Uh, so the, the idea is that this is a community. And by the way, um, our teachings and our beliefs are what's going to strengthen you against all the issues that are out there. Uh, I speak a lot about depression, even though I'm not a um, psychiatrist or psychologist or have any background in it, but I believe that the tools that are in the church are tools that are beneficial to the youth to help them avoid uh, depression and loneliness and, um, and a lot of these other um, kind of uh, uh, popular issues that are happening today, especially under COVID. I feel bad, I don't, I'm not saying, like, I'm not necessarily saying um, the, the obvious, like, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord, <laughs> and and we should serve him and all the, uh, the the good news of the gospel, but the good news, I'm trying to deliver it in a way that at least relates to them, and then they'll see. It's a come and see type of approach, where uh, just, and, and keep coming, and keep seeing, uh, and then I believe that God works in that way. Um, within the hearts of people. So um, I don't worry ever when a parent says, my son has gone off this or my daughter has gone off the straight and narrow because I also believe God and and this was taught to me and I've seen it in my very short priesthood, that people come back. God gives everybody an opportunity of repentance. whether it's acted upon or not is a different story, but but God does not leave anyone without that opportunity. So just for us to keep praying. And I always am in, I try to maintain good relationships with all the youth, which has, has been a benefit. Instead of me kind of pushing the parents' agenda early on, I say, look, I'm always here for you to, if you want to talk. And they have my number. And, and a lot of times it's um, it's it's worked and, and they've come and they've talked. And, and maybe they haven't completely change their lifestyle but at least they have uh, a connection with the church that's always there and they they know they have that community that they can come back to and that you know that priest who's willing to accept their confession even even if it's not the last time that they go off the straight and narrow uh so it's it's at least that's my um my approach to the service
0: if that approach were different, hypothetically, where, um, again, out of fear and out of concern and out of you know good intentions, you follow that rabbit hole of okay, if you know they keep doing this, then X, Y, and Z, catastrophizing, you know, generalizing, and putting yourself in a position where if you don't get them today, right now then we'll never get them back. And you you frame it for, you know, ex youth that, um, you know, we really need you and we want you to come back and, you know, me and Fasha like you can't be doing this. Um, and instead of this open door, you know, available cell phone, there's a um, sort of pursuit with, um, you know the the associated guilt and shame, and you know um, you know leverage and coercion to say, listen, if you do this, you know bad things will happen, or if you do this, you know that we don't we don't do these things. That's not part of our community. What do you think the result would be?
1: Well, I I think it takes a certain personality, um, and I I just. Um... I'll only rise to that occasion, and I don't know if this is still recording, but you have frozen. Okay, anyway. Um, I only rise to that occasion when there is a particular drug involved, right? Um, whether it's heroin or methamphetamine. It's like, I'll be like, no, we need to, because that's that's a, a long road and, and not many people survive it. Uh, but if it's, um, y- you know, if it's a... Uh, if it's something else and i'm trying to think of something else a relationship that's outside of the church um you know it's it's one of these things where i try to tell them look this is of course it's your decision but um this is typically what happens in my experience and so on and so forth i give it to them in a more gentler way but i sometimes wish to be honest with you i sometimes wish i was more of um uh, more passionate um, more um convincing I, I mean i sucked as a lawyer right so i feel like um and anytime i try to do any type of lawyer things i'm like like convincing or, coerce- or convincing somebody i i'm terrible at it um and it's funny every time someone gives me a message like go talk to the metropolitan about x y and z and try to get you know tim to say yes or no to something I'm always lousy. And I'll be like, no, nah, he said no. They're like, did you say this or that or whatever? I was like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really know what to say. <laughs> so it's it's this thing with, um, unfortunately, with youth. I'm like, I tried, but, you know, I think they'll be okay. Or I think this will just, they're just going to go down this road or, and, and to be honest with you, I can't step in on day, on year 17, right? Year 17, I enter the picture and try to talk and undo the last four years, the last five years, the last seven years, whatever, um, of, of just bad education, right? Or a bad, um, you know, experiences, right? So I'm, I'm trying to give them hope of a better experience. But at the same time, all the, the, the problem has always been they haven't experienced God. Right? And when do we? When does a person experience God? We have to create those opportunities, and we create those opportunities. Um, when there are, um, like, kind of holy gatherings, uh, liturgy. Of course, it's not about a priest's voice. It's not even about the sermon. I mean, the sermon is important, but it's it's really about God opening up the person's heart, and that happens, and it, it takes time. Um, and so and then the meetings that we have the meetings are the hope we hope that somebody will be uh, experience god in those meetings and those practices that we tell them to do at home whether it's reading the book of hours the psalms or reading the bible or uh, spending some time in prayer or going on retreat or doing some act of service for somebody else all of that is so that the person can experience god um I um, I, uh, I I think uh, that's that's what we're lacking. We're lacking experiences. So going back to the point about community, that's where if it's only about community, then we have a problem, right? Then then because the community is not. It's not just about feeling like you're part of a community but on a deeper level, I feel part of a community even though I have problems with some people in the community. Or I feel part of the community because the community is the people of God, which is another level, and I want to be part of the people of God. So there, there's no silver bullet, um, and everything has to work together. Uh, and getting the And that includes parents, right? So parents have to be part of the equation that they're working together with the priests and the servants and the church has to be a good liturgical experience in the church. Has to be good substantial meetings in the church. Has to be, um, you know, good conversation even at the agape meal or at the uh, at this time of socializing. All of that has to be a good experience. So there's there's all these um, these components that are working together. One priest uh, was joking and he said one of the most important things a church needs to do is have a clean bathroom um, because if it's the first time I'm coming into the church and there's no toilet paper and the floor is disgusting and the, that's how they treat the bathroom that's then then clearly these guys have different uh, priorities or different aspirations than I do and it's not very welcoming um, so anyway there's there's everything's got to work together there was uh, can I tell you a funny story even the Orban has to work together I'll tell you why you know uh abuna um there was some uh abuna um one of the bishops came from egypt uh and and he was he said something about how the orban was made with uh wheat wheat flour in egypt and and um i was kind of there for the conversations kind of not i didn't get the idea that he wanted it made with wheat but the next Maybe he did, but but the next week it was like wheat, right? So you have wheat, not not the urban you're used to, so it's wheat. So we were handing out, at the end of the liturgy, we were handing out urban to the people and the kids. The kids were giving it back to us. They are like, we don't want it. <laughs> so it was like, so everything's kind of got to work together to be part of this, uh, this uh, um, you know, the service of the church. Um, and... Uh, and so, um, you know, we do our part to the best of our ability, especially with the youth that are um, are um, finding it problematic to be in the church. But it's actually at the same time I think we've made strides in our. Um, oh, did I lose you? We make we made strides in our uh, service, um, especially among the American-born uh, priests, to to um give the kids what what they are lacking. Uh the Egyptian born priests are wonderful. There's nothing wrong about them, but I think they just sometimes what's lost is growing up in America. Right? There's just different. We don't we don't have the same things that were like in Egypt. We don't even have the same experiences, right? You go to Egypt and you go to like maybe midnight praises and with one of these uh, bishops or whatever. You have these experiences. You go to the monastery every other weekend. You've got servants galore all around you. You have a ch- you can belong to a church that has like a YMCA, uh, a cafe. I mean, like like something like you would see maybe um, among some of these megachurch, Protestant megachurches here in America, you have like the church is your second home. Um, There's so much going on there in that life that growing up in America, not seeing it, we need a different, we need a different model sometimes for church. Like church is not, not a nadi, right? That people, I've tried to translate that word for me. Um, Nadi, it's um, what is it? Uh, Summer? Like I thought it meant like summer camp. Like a club, but like a club. Okay. That's not relatable to me. I did not grow up belonging to a club, right? And even like club was like, you thought club, you thought very rich people belong to country clubs where they play golf. So that sounds boring, right? So a club in my, and it doesn't translate, but but the, so many of these churches want to create a nedi or club experience, which I don't know if we necessarily need it, especially here in South Orange County, where you can... South where i live uh in california y- you can belong to some of the best clubs um play sports anywhere on any corner uh there's parks all over the place then you have the beach and then you have um you know the mountains you have everything around you so why are we trying to um insist on having a basketball court on church property when the kids can play basketball court a- across the street over there um, and be a good influence on the people that they play with and you know, so on and so forth. There's, There are things that I think we think of differently. I'm now um, going on. I don't know if I'm still answering the question. No,
0: I, I think, we, so we've talked about a lot of things about the, the role of uh, the clergy and, and other people in uh, positions of if, influence and leadership, what their role is and what their role isn't, uh, how difficult it is sometimes for clergy and people um, in uh, positions of influence and leadership to, the, to um, take their good intentions and define their role with respect to their congregations, their youth, their service um, in a healthy way, right? Because having good intentions isn't good enough, right? It's, it has to be executed on in a way that's mindful and thoughtful um, and respects the person that gives them just enough tension to be like, hey, like you know, we're we're here to support you, and we're here to support each other, right? Where we don't want each other going off the rails, while at the same time not having that tension be um, so forceful that they don't feel like they can express themselves and, and be themselves. And I think you did a great job outlining, you know, some scenarios where it's like, well, you know, maybe this this needs a little bit of uh, correction. Um, and this naturally led into we as a community, what is our charge and what is our responsibility? Um, and what are we trying to create? And one potentially sensitive issue that I think you handled well is when there's a difference in vision, right? When there's a difference in what we are as a church, who we are as a community, what our goals are. Um, and I think this is a good point, uh, where, you know, as expected, I must ask you something. How do we advocate for that vision of the church being centered ar- ar- around the liturgy and not around the nedi? Like, how how do we um, progress in that di- the direction where we reimagine our Copticness, our uh, identity as a faith community? outside of a place in Egypt where everybody lives within the same four square blocks and the, the servant can pick up the kid on the way to a church to go play ping pong or soccer or what have you. How do we take that community and that um, identity in Christ and translate it into a different world? Yeah. Um. It's
1: a tough question. I've in my, in my PhD dissertation writing, I had to, um, I was thinking about writing about Coptic identity for a little bit. And then I realized, um, a lot's been written on it. And, uh, I'm not sure that there is. So here's the thing, right? Coptic identity within Egypt. Is um, is one thing, Coptic identity outside of Egypt is a different thing, and manifests itself in a different way, and not necessarily in the same way, so that I can't, um, so I can be a Coptic Christian in in the United States, um, go to Egypt and um, feel uh, a bit out of uh, out of sorts. Um, and vice versa, right? Where you can come from Egypt, especially, let's say, if you were to come to um, uh, one of the more American parishes uh, and feel like this is lacking the same feeling of Egypt. But if we want to get to the heart of it, Coptic identity, if you want to get, like, academic about it, I don't think many people understand uh, their own Coptic identity, so um, my priest growing up, and I've kind of taken on the same line, uh, I would say stuff like if you haven't read the life of St. Anthony, you're not Coptic Orthodox. If you haven't read on the Incarnation by St. Athanasius, you're not Coptic Orthodox. That's of course, I mean it's, a, it's funny, but it's like assuming a person can read and assuming a person uh, has the capacity for that, but it's, it's pushing people uh, to... Cop- Being Coptic doesn't just mean you go to a Coptic church that has that label Coptic on the outside. But there is a... There is a... There is a history to us that people should start taking ownership. It's not just that we were persecuted by Muslims or or Council of Chalcedon went sideways on us or um, we eat uh, on the... Uh, epiphany of our of our lord uh no there's or even that we use coptic language i think the coptic language and that's another thing that's very misunderstanding uh that's a that's a big misunderstanding i think among among so many of the american coptic orthodox churches is that they're trying to get away with culture or get, get rid of culture and they've thrown out coptic but coptic is an identity of a people when we're in a church we belong to a history of people and it's not that it's simply a language any any conquering society that wants to conquer another society if the french for example came and conquered the americans or the british right they're going to say stop using english and start using french it might not work out for this generation but in a couple generations they'll forget who they are right and they'll want to be who we are french and that's how you destroy a culture and that's how you destroy a people so so getting you know accepting that willfully is 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 not in line with our understanding of what it means to be uh, uh, of our Coptic uh, identity in our Coptic heritage uh but having said that I I think we struggle with this word with this idea of Coptic identity and when we come back to the liturgy at least we get our theology and when I say liturgy I mean midnight praises as well morning evening raising of incense the synexarion is included as uh, although I have my problems with that uh some of those stories um the the uh other thing is um the 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 reading of the agbe the Psalms just that simple those simple little tasks Uh, I think for us a when we understand our Coptic identity B will realize that everybody and anyone can become Coptic because we're a universal church and C will realize that what we have to offer is unique to the United States in terms of spirit religious experience it's not unique because of the tunes it's not unique because of the language it's unique because of the spirit there is a a spirit of um, uh, of uh, a monastic spirit a spiritual the spirituality in the Coptic Orthodox Church like I've You know if i see spirituality in other books from other faiths i'm i'm generally surprised because most of the time i don't find it there however if i don't find spirituality in a coptic orthodox church book i am surprised as well i'm like well that's not really you know kind of um the nature of and i'm not just talking about spiritual books spirituality and theology are are go hand in hand um on the incarnation is a called a spiritual book because it speaks to the spirit um, as well as and, and you know body soul and spirit all together so i think we're struggling and this is our this is one of the tasks of our generation is to figure out this coptic identity in a way that we're not doing uh, any injustice or, or disjustice or whatever to the past but we're being faithful to the gospel here in the united states Coptic identity not to hit on a hot button topic at the end of uh, the talk is not January 7th. That's not Coptic identity. Sorry. It just so happens that we are we celebrate on the 29th of Kiev and it have, lands on January 7th. but you know if, the, if if Christianity started in the United States in this day and age, I, I can't. I, I don't know. We wouldn't pick. We wouldn't pick January seventh. We'd pick December twenty fifth. Um, and I think that that's where we have to be kind of courageous and open, honest about what are we doing here. Are we just trying to make little Egypt's uh, little Coptic churches here, or that are coming straight from Egypt, and we're just sort of embassies, or are we spreading the gospel?
0: I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna go there. Uh... You know, we, we have to open the door, and and I, I was ready to wind down, but like you said, like you're you're just dropping a bomb right there at the end. Um, I I think there has to also be consideration of um, other issues that out of again out of fear and out of conservatism that is well-meaning, right? We don't want to confuse people, and oh, if we change Christmas, then what else are we going to change? Um, It brings in questions about, you know, the role of women, uh, about uh, the, uh, I'm just going to come right on and say it, the the, uh, communion, the the 40 days and 80 days, um, and all of these other issues that come along with a, this is the way that we've always done it, and we're holding on to certain things that are peripheral, things that are related to um, how we practice our faith and how uh, we have uh, done things in a certain cultural uh, environment that may or may not translate. And if we have a good reason, if there's like a theological reason or if there's a a faith-based reason, and like you said, if we were going to, evangelize today and if we're going to make a decision today how would we make that decision um then sure yeah let's let's keep them going but if the only reason that, that it exists is because this is the way we've always done it then you know how do we shift from that because again there's a tremendous fear and there's a tremendous concern that if you say um you know we're getting rid of the 40 days and 80 days then people are going to think okay well tomorrow we're we're not going to believe in the trinity and it's like wait hold on a second like those aren't connected thoughts with the exception of the fear that connects them we
1: live we live in a day and age where and it's going to get it's going to get uh it's going to get worse um we live in a day and age where everything's about identity politics Mm. and what the idea and in that in in that world of identity politics um coptic identity will be of little value to the louder voices and to the uh, heavier hands um you you can't you can't pit two things against each other um, unequally Um, if there is a coptic identity right and it has to be discovered and then there is um some sort of other agenda that butts head with heads with the Coptic identity I think that there is a a a way that you can approach and and do it as um I want to say the word even scientifically as possible where you are saying okay let's let's identify how it was developed let's identify how it developed in other churches let's see how other churches handled it uh, let's see if we can accept or or, or um, uh, dis- discard how other churches handled it um, and the, the thought patterns and, and kind of going back and forth like for example, we would talk about gender and gender roles in the church. Um, I don't um, I haven't really uh, studied it at length, but all I can I can say is that I, I don't, think that I think that the church has a way of bringing gender into the subject in a very profound and meaningful way if others are willing to listen not just we we, you always hear like sound bites right uh but but the idea of actually studying um how gender has been in the in the orthodox church and it's not just simply about priests can do this and, and nobody else can do this. Well, actually, I should say differently. It's not men can do this, and women cannot do this. There's there's something else that I believe is really profound there. Um, so, you know, at the same time, I'm not excited about how people discuss issues. I don't think people come at the issues very, in a very deep way. Uh, I'm saying people. I'm not saying which side. I'm just saying people in general don't, Don't really study and look to the and look to the experts and and sort of see, okay, who who can speak to this and the person that can speak to this is not somebody who's read a couple books. Right, the person who can speak to this has an understanding of uh, the kind of the the mind of the church, as well as uh, uh, the idea of evangelization and Christianity and and where things are moving and what was the purpose behind things, you know, you have always canons some canons are exactly opposite one another right one says you can do this one says you cannot do this and so no canon by the way is cancels out another canon the, all canons are valid right i know it sounds crazy right but it's you can do this because of this situation or you cannot do this because of whatever historical situation there's some always some historical um, issues going around Um, every time in the united states there's an opinion that's different from egypt there's going to be this feeling in egypt that uh we're trying to separate ourselves or we're trying to be different or we're trying it, it it just it just doesn't make sense um the hostility that comes towards the very simple things and there's just been you know two simple things that we've done in our diocese here that's that's always kind of Received pushback, which was having first the female ecclesiastical choir, um, where they have their own uh, vestments. Um, they're not ordained. They're not. There's no kind of like, um, uh, you know, anything that goes along with like the chanters or whatever that we have in our, in our for the boys. Yet there was such pushback uh, against that. And then the other thing is uh, this idea that you can celebrate the liturgical the liturgical feast of Christmas on the December twenty fifth. Um, and the pushback is coming from people that don't that don't understand our situation here, don't understand, you know, the, the, the vibe and don't understand what's what's trying to be achieved. You can always you know, you can always think about things in a negative light. Like they're trying to change things, they're going for, you know, whatever egregious sins they want, um you know, to turn the altar into a—I don't know—some sort of a club or bar or you know, whatever ridiculous thing that comes out, which is just that—it's—it's—it's um, that, it's, it's, it's that fear mongering that we we see in so many other areas of our life. That just oh, it's in the church, and let's let's instill fear that this is the beginning of the end, and that this is uh, this is all coming down and. And, and this is a very important uh, issue that we take very seriously. As opposed to, you know, in the past, you know, there were situations where one Pope said, you know, I'm going to cancel uh, um, St. Mary's fast and Jonah's fast and, you know, so this, this that, or the other. I'm going to cancel it. He canceled it and the next Pope just reinstalled it. Um, and it wasn't, it was the Pope wanted to, the, the people wanted it to. I mean, I feel like as advanced as we are, we're so we're, we're we're not even regressing because people back then were there was a flexibility and there was a diversity. Can you imagine that there was a diversity even in the month of uh, of of Kiyakh, where you had um, different hymns in different areas of the churches, or you had different even fasting, different fasting, where you had people fast in Upper Egypt a, a different way than than in than in Northern uh, Egypt. It's it's. Um, it it, you know that diversity was not something that we should have um, cracked down on but we should have analyzed it a little bit more instead of you know burning the different books and burning the different liturgies and burning the whatever why don't we see what was going on here Um, and and we're now in a period of advancement supposedly and we seem to be doing more damage to the church than those who were uneducated back in the um whatever age uh they did nothing they did nothing that changed it they lived you know simple christian lives uh to the best of their uh, ability but here we are i mean you have you have uh bishops who are willing to like hack into or not bishops maybe maybe priests but hack into like different liturgical services and excise parts and skip over parts and that's not necessary and why are we doing this this is pointless like we have this error this error this this people with with uneducated opinions holding power doing things and then and then when you have people that are educated the lowly uh, lay people uh, with an opinion that's educated that's they're being kind of shunned to the right and to the left instead of there being open dialogue or even just some sort of organization right this goes also to why don't we have a, a, a clerical school wouldn't a clerical school be the best place where you could have students hey write a paper on this do some research you have like free work um, or free uh, research being done by by uh, people who are being educated all of this all of this would uh, only bring um, more progress and i mean that in a good way to the coptic orthodox church uh and yet we have all these powers that can't agree and they are um and 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 I think at this point in time, it's safe to say that we might not be able to re- <laughs> to go online with this, uh, we, or we might have to cut from where I started uh, talking.
0: No, no, there, there's no editing. So uh, we either post or don't post. So right. Be as careful or as uh, as open as you'd like.
1: But well, I, I think everything that I'm saying is is defensible. I think uh, I think that I'm not I'm not. I'm not saying one side or the other, but I, I feel that it's disappointing that we can, we can be in a, a, a church that is alive and active in the place that we are trying to find ourselves being taking root. Um, and And being alive and active means that we can't, it can't just be business as usual, right? you're not going to have um, um, the feeling and the sense of the Coptic Orthodox Church here in the United States exactly as you would find it in Egypt. Just like you won't find the spirit and the feeling of the Coptic Orthodox Church in a, in, in a, a cave in the middle of the desert where you're celebrating liturgy as you would in, um, in, in the cathedral um in in you know in Cairo there's a difference and there's a difference of experiences and there's also a difference of service right and the the you know when we are said that we are rightly dividing the word of truth um that has to be there has to be some um freedom and flexibility to be able to do that in a way that is honest to the situation that we're in um and and there's uh, so there's a lot of pastoral issues that come up when um, when we cannot make strong um, when the hierarchy can't you know sort of say uh, this is the rule or this isn't the rule we find ourselves in a situation and we also we always have to take permission from our own bishop when we deviate um, but we ask uh, you know and and there's just so many pastoral issues that come up. Uh, that we have to take seriously, and it can't just be so a pastoral issue. Would be like, okay, like there's an exception here or an exception there, and, and and I think that there that more importantly, we need to see about how to systematically uh, give give um, freedom for the Coptic Orthodox Church to serve in the place that it's serving, in a way that we're not doing damage to our Coptic identity, but at the same time we're not slaves to a pattern, or just simply slaves to a um, uh, this is how it's always been done. Although it is good to do as as it has been done, but to understand how anybody who says the Coptic Orthodox Church is practicing in Egypt the same way it was practicing 500 years ago has not read a, one history book about practices in the Coptic Orthodox Church. Uh, how things change, why things change, whether it was good for something to change or not, is for it's for, <clears throat> you know, history books will be written about that. But sometimes things were overchanged and we're trying to change it back. Some things were underchanged and we're just trying to, you know, tweak it a little bit more. Um but but for the most part I think we cannot be so we cannot fear uh, or have the sense of fear that we are um first off, you know, we're too big to fail, so let's just keep doing whatever we're doing. Uh, or the other, the opposite is if you change one thing you're changing everything and it's all gonna fall apart, right? Like um, uh, I, and it takes it, but it takes a serious a serious um, work of education, and and we have shot ourselves in the foot starting with our uh, clerical school or lack thereof of a of a clerical a formal clerical school and it's it's good that. Yes, you know, here in our diocese we have one um, and elsewhere there are ones, but there should be a prestigious clerical school where we, we are pulling in all of the scholars that we have that have studied and, um, and we're utilizing them, not just you have a pocket here, a pocket there, a pocket over here. And then all that trickles all the way down to Sunday school. Um, Sunday school being the other... Um, Um, the other project that really needs um, experts and it's been getting a lot better. It's been getting a lot better but the one key element that I would say is missing is that I think all head servants who really should be taking this job off of the, the priest, all head servants should have a higher degree whether it's in education or it's uh, in theology. uh, Probably religious education would be a good place to go, Uh, but they should have a higher degree in that. And having a higher degree in that, they know all aspects of education within the church and not just Sunday school. And they try to see how Sunday school fits into that and the other aspects, whether it's service or uh, the liturgy or fellowship or whatever all of it working back nicely into the the sunday school model the sunday school model can't just be k through 12th grade sunday mm-hmm. school is like education in the church has to be lifelong and people have that culture has to change in the church as well which means which means what mina which means if i am a priest of 60 years experience i still am part of that lifelong learning right where it's, i can't say i've learned enough that's it i'm not going to uh, pick up a book or educate myself on any topic you were talking about <clears throat> you know the 40 80 or or communion issue that's that was an issue in every church including the catholic church from my understanding up until the last century so it's not like we're so ages behind right or or we're so in it, it was a I don't want to say, um, so I'm using the word, it was a law throughout, right? And what I fear, what I fear is implementing a law without understanding the purpose behind it, or not implementing a law without understanding the purpose behind it, right? There's, there's There's two problems here, that we have to get the purpose behind any law before we make a decision, which which people say we're only following this law because it was a law or we were only following this law because Hippolytus made this law or we're only fought and there's and then we go back to the Jewish the Jewish teaching and and ultimately I think what needs to be is a uh, um, is a is a instead of doubling down one way or the other there just needs to be um, kind of a, a, a pause and say how's this law affecting people right if we were to say you know um, look at look at the law of like Wednesdays and Fridays, right? Fasting Wednesdays and Fridays, the law. You have to fast Wednesdays and Fridays, at least for a priest. Um, but imagine if that was a law that was in the books for, for everyone. Or, you know, we try to implement it for, in, during Great Lent, right? You ever hear a priest say, if you're not fasting, you can't take communion. How does that rub off on people? And what's the goal of that? I can tell you the goal is about being part of the community being part of the you know you're you're part of a community and so everybody's doing this so this is we're all rowing at the same pace at this way and this is but if somebody says to me i cannot fast i have medical issues what do you think i'm going to do uh
0: excommunicate them yeah <laughs>
1: And tell them, hey, I'll give you communion in your home, right? No, no. Uh, no, there's nothing. There's what, what am I going to do? I cut them off from the body of Christ because their body physically can't do that. Um, so there's a lot of parallels here. And I'll tell you, okay, another thing, and this is it. This is it. The the logic and the mentality and the Western educated mind is different from the the, the someone not educated in the Western mind. Now that's good, bad, indifferent, however you want to look at that. That's just the nature of the beast now. So when we approach it, we have to approach uh, and not say this is the Western mind. No, but this is somebody that's been educated here. So the logic follows in a certain way, right? If if you weren't logically, uh, um, if you weren't educated in a certain way where the middle finger meant something bad for you, right, then it would just mean nothing, right? So I could send you know i could send the middle finger your way and it would not affect you in any way but if you're educated in a way that hey that's a bad sign in you know the way i was educated you know so whoever's west whoever's east in that kind of scenario you have to take into consideration how things fall on the ears in of people who are educated in a certain way um we talked a lot mina so i must ask you a question
0: (laughs) okay what, what are you going to stash me? What,
1: what kind of product do you use in your mustache?
0: Uh, I use this Clubman uh, mustache wax.
1: Will they uh, will they be um, paying for your ad? Uh...
0: Hey hey I, I you know I I have no uh, scruples when it comes to uh, advertising and sponsorship.
1: I make I make my own beard balm. Mm. This is kind of butchered, but. Uh... Well,
0: Father Daniel, thank you. Uh, or I should say, do you prefer Dan?
1: Daniel. <laughs> I you feel
0: Daniel. <laughs> uh, you, you've given us a lot to think about in terms of the responsibility uh, that we have in terms of educating ourselves um, and you know responding to our local situation and, and helping to um, adapt our spirituality and our faith to our local community so um, any Thank final
1: you. No, I mean, we just, it was too early in the morning. I haven't had my coffee, so probably was not. (laughs) Yeah, you have nothing to say. But anyway, thank you so much. Mina, it's always good to talk to you. Hopefully we'll talk soon.
0: Thank you guys for listening.